1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: It is purposeful. It is intentional. It has a specific goal in mind because sacrifice is never mindless. I'm reminded that God never uses our suffering or sacrifice wastefully. He doesn't call us to anything wasteful. Here in fact, if you look at verses 27 through 28, you see the purpose. You see the purpose for the sacrificial love of a husband, the sacrificial love of a good of a good lover. And it's he's loving his wife as Christ loved the church. I can
0: see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry, the answer for all my
2: life.
0: Every giant will fall. The mountains will move every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh nothing is impossible.
1: Hello and welcome to The Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, senior pastor here at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would like to encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his Family Matters teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along with us as we hear part one of Pastor Keith's message entitled, It takes a good husband.
2: So we begin again, the series that we began a few weeks ago on family matters. Family matters matter to God, so they should matter to us as we've talked about before. So goes the family, so goes the church, so goes civilization. And I shared with you in the past some statistics about what happens when the family begins to break down society begins to break down, and no amount of legislation or goodwill can fix that. It, it, it really began, as we talked about, and begins, a good strong family begins with a good strong marriage. And so we spent a couple of weeks talking about marriage, and it takes a marriage to make a good healthy family, and it takes a, a good healthy family to make a good healthy church and society. This week, we're going to turn our attention to Husbands. And the sermon is entitled, the talk is entitled, It Takes a Good Husband. It Takes a Good Husband. And looking at the notes in front of me, we're going to call this part one because this is going to take a while. And so uh, now you may be sitting there going, Well, I'm a junior high or a middle school student or I'm a high school student or I'm a single or I'm a divorcee or I'm a widow or a widower. What's in it for me? Well, a couple of things. Naturally, this is the Word of God that we'll be sharing with you. And It has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our existence. And just for that alone. But also, you know, this, students, if if you've got a dad, and you know what? Not all dads are perfect. You can ask my children. Uh, You can pray for them. You can pray for their role as a husband. It's a high and difficult calling. Uh, And if you're single and you're looking to get married one day, this is the kind of man, girls, you want to be looking for, okay? Okay. Ladies, and if you're divorced and uh, able to remarry, well, you know. And if you've been married for fifty years, guys, and you're saying, "Well, I've been at this so long," there's always a chance to get better, right? Spiritual growth is like the stock market; it can be volatile, but it's ongoing until the day the Lord takes you home. And ladies, if you've been married to the same guy for forty or fifty years. I know there have been times, perhaps. At least in theory, you felt like putting the pillow over his head during the night, you know. But remember this: you can be praying for him that he will fulfill the role that God has called him to, you know. Uh, and you're going to hear things that you might want to say. See, you're not doing this at home. Do yourself a favor and do him a favor. Don't make that mistake, okay? Because you're not going to help him. You're just going to hurt him. So that's it. Good families depend on good marriages. Good marriages depend on good husbands, and so you know, we continue the series. Now, let me just say again, you may not be married. You may be divorced. You may be hurting. You may wonder, well, well, you know, and and you may not have the world's greatest husband. You know, good husbands are not born. They're made. They don't grow on trees, nor do they swing from them. They are made. They are forged in the fires of marriage. They are informed and guided and grown through the Word of God as it hits the heart, and the Holy Spirit brings it to bear upon the soul. And and I also don't want you to get me wrong. Some of you may be married to unbelievers, and this doesn't mean that your unbelieving husband is a terrible guy. You know, there are lots of unbelieving husbands, actually, that treat their wives better than believing husbands do, sorry to say. But the bottom line is, for Christians, and this is just a truth that, that sometimes is hard to take, a man cannot be the husband that God calls him to be and that the wife needs him to be apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk to you today about what a good husband looks like and acts like. And uh, so we uh, begin our series in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to kind of talk through it just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it, let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. There's a lot going on there, let me tell you. And First, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, which means you can't do that without Christ. That's why you've got to be a believer. You're supposed to love the wife as you do your own body, the way that Christ loved his church, sacrificially, and I would argue intelligently. Marriage is a picture of the church. Christ is the head of the the bride, his, his, his bride, the church. Christ is the head of the church body, the way the husband is the head of his wife and the household. And what I'd like to do today as we think about these themes and as we distill these themes and figure out how to apply them to each and every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our lives, is what I'd like to do is zero in on three qualities of a good husband, the three essentials of a good husband. Every good husband has to be at least three things, at least. And the first thing, the first essential, the first quality is this, a husband has to be a good lover. A husband has to be a good lover. Now, hold on there. I'm, you know, just work with me on this. It's not what you think. Okay. Look at verse twenty-five. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, verse twenty-eight. Husbands love your wives as your own bodies. You see that in verses twenty-five and twenty-eight. Now, in our in our world, I know because I know some some of you were thinking when I said a husband must be a good lover. We're thinking of the of the 21st, 20th, and even late 19th century concept of the sexual revolution and promiscuity. But in our verses, that's not what it's talking about here. Christians need to stop thinking culturally because we do so at our own peril. We need to think biblically. And a lover in the biblical sense here is someone who cares for another person sacrificially, often to his or her own detriment and at his or her own expense and sacrifice. Look with me again at Ephesians 5.25. It's right there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now let me give you a biblical definition of love. What is a biblical definition of love? Love is benefiting another person with righteous words, actions, and deeds. With no thought of what you're going to gain from it. Love is benefiting someone through righteous words, actions. Those are deeds with no thought or idea of entitlement or what one will receive In return. And where do I get that definition from? It's in the Bible. It's a whole lot longer. I just shortened it for you. Where do you find it? You find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 4 through 8. Look with me at this passage. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never fails. So, that's what I mean by a lover. That's a picture of Jesus Christ. A good lover sacrifices, loves sacrificially for his family. Now, what is that all about? I mean, let me tell you what it's not about. It's not about a thoughtless act. No, it's about a pattern of consistent, thoughtful acts and actions. It is purposeful. It is intentional. It has a specific goal in mind because sacrifice is never mindless. I'm reminded that God never uses our suffering or sacrifice wastefully. And He doesn't call us to anything wasteful here. In fact, if you look at verses 27 through 28, you see the purpose. You see the purpose for the sacrificial love of a husband. The sacrificial love of a good, of a good lover. And it's, He's loving His wife as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5, uh, 26 through 28. "...that He might sanctify her, that is, He might help her grow spiritually, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." Our our good love, our sacrificial love, is intended to benefit, to, to, to sacrifice for our wives, to sanctify them, to grow them, to be agents of change in their lives to prepare them spiritually. That's what that's about. It's about helping her to renew and transform her mind. The goal is not only her temporal well-being or physical good, but her eternal and spiritual growth and well-being. That's what this is about here. Part of our job description is to love our wives as Christ loved the church and provide for them in terms of spiritual well-being. We are to encourage our wives, brothers... We are to encourage our wives with our gifts in a way similar to the way that Christ encourages the church. We are to lead them spiritually, and that doesn't simply mean family Bible studies, though that is involved. You're not expected to be a theological wizard who can take, help her plumb the depths of speculative theology. No, it's to foster her spiritual growth. It's to create an environment that she can grow spiritually. It's to see that you and the family get to church. It's to see that... She and the family see that God is the ultimate priority and life. And we are to sacrifice for that so that they mature and grow or come to Christ if some of them aren't Christians. This involves carving out time from the schedule. I was talking with Paul. He had taught on this. Uh, he taught on marriage ye- uh, yesterday. The men's retreat, you know, it's looking at the schedule. If you've got a conflict on Sunday, maybe you've got a softball game or a soccer game, cancel it because this is what counts. No one's going to remember who won. If you've got something, some extracurricular activity that gets in, in, in the way of church for your wife or your children or you, get rid of it because it is of no eternal value. I know the world pulls us in different directions, but we have to carve out time, attend church with her, find opportunities to serve with her in her, whatever ministry she's involved in. Make time. It's inconvenient, yes, but then ask Jesus Christ about inconvenience. He can tell you all about it. Just pray with her three or four times a week. You can't do it seven days a week. Maybe you can. But prioritize your life and her life around God. That's what a lover does. That's what a lover is. Is that me and you guys? Well, I would say yes and no, because we are, after all, like them, works in progress. And we haven't attained perfection yet. And God doesn't expect us to attain perfection this side of heaven. But you know what? Your success or failure, your success as a man, really is measured not by every result, not by every outcome, because the outcomes and results are God's. They're measured by your faithfulness, your desire to benefit her through righteous words, actions, and deeds, your desire to love her, your effort to love her satisfactorily, sacrificially. And you may fail from time to time, but sacrifice also involves getting back on the horse that threw you. And no, ladies, I'm not comparing you to a horsey. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes we have setbacks in our own spiritual walk, men. Maybe you don't, I do, but uh, I do, trust me. So you have to look at that, you know. It's, uh, and you know, you're, you're saying, well, yeah, yeah, but when they wrote this, it was a busy time. I mean, it wasn't as busy as it is today. I live in a busy world. That was written in the olden days. That was written way back then when they were involved in agriculture, when they were just merchants. And, you know, the well, think about this. And the, the, When this was written, men were engaged in subsistence agriculture. They lived day to day, like most of the third world. They carved out and eked out a living from sunup to sundown. And they didn't get a 15-minute break every four hours or a one-hour lunch break. They didn't get sabbaticals. They didn't get vacation days. They didn't get sick days. And when the sun went down, they didn't have lights they could turn on. And you know what? He's calling them to that. We've got much more leisure time today, don't we, guys? Don't we, ladies? You know. And some were slaves. Slaves in Egypt, slaves in Europe, slaves in Africa, slaves in America. I read a statistic that actually, and this, this just boggles my mind, that most slaves have more intact marriages than free people. I mean, go figure. Think about that. So when it says, Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church gave himself up for her. You're to be a lover, guys. You are to pour it on. You are to love her sacrificially, which means giving up things, giving up your preferences, giving up stuff, you know, giving up, dare I say, man things. So a good husband is a good lover. He's a lover like Christ. And you probably noticed that I listed verse 28 there and I never got around to it. Well, that's because when we get into the second aspect of a good husband, a godly husband, a Christian husband, verse 28 comes into play. So the second ingredient, the second aspect, the second characteristic, the second essential of being a good husband is being a learner. A husband is a lover and a husband is a learner. Where is that in our passage? It's in verse 28. And the trouble sometimes is we don't read as thoughtfully or as carefully as we could. We kind of read through, we read too fast. In the same way that a good lover, a good husband is sacrificial, Loving his wife as Christ loved the church. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And you're probably going, huh? What? Where's that? I mean, where does it say he's a learner? What does it mean to love your own bo- love your wife as your own body? Look and think closer with me. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. First, there's a command there. So we should pay attention. How did Christ love the church? Sacrificially. How did Christ love the church? Completely. How did Christ love the church? Relentlessly. And what's going on here is this. Don't do this right now, but think about it. You know, stand in front of a mirror and look at your own body. Or, or if you need a, a, a visual, you can look at mine for now. Don't stare. But um, like right now, my head hurts, and that tells me I have a cold, okay? If I don't get enough sleep, my eyes burn, and I know I need to take some rest, or my immune system's going to go down, and my sinuses are going to kick up. When my back starts hurting, I know that I'm not exercising enough. Why? Because I live in this body. And And living in this body for 58 years, I have come to be extraordinarily familiar with it. All of its idiosyncrasies, which I won't enumerate here today, but I know what makes my body tick. I know my, I know. You know, I think it was Socrates who said, know thyself, right? And it was the great social commentator, Harry Callahan, who said a man's got to know his limitations, right? And we have to know our wives the way we know our own bodies. We have to learn them. And what, th- what this really means is this, you know, it, a lot of us would say, yeah, I would die for my wife, I would give up my life for my wife the way Christ gave up his life for the church. I'd take a bullet for my wife, I'd step out in front of a car for my wife, I'd do all this. And a lot of us say that because we know it ain't never going to happen, right? It's never going to happen. But to love her systematically, to love her carefully, to love her thoughtfully, to love her thoroughly, to love her in an understanding way, that's so-called a small sacrifice that many men don't want to make. And I'm reminded this, that loving our wives in these little ways, the way we love our own bodies, the way we understand our own bodies, the way we should be able to understand them, it kind of inoculates the marriage from little brush fires. And you know about brush fires, don't you? You've got a little brush fire here, a little brush fire there, a little brush fire there. Pretty soon the whole place is on fire, right? Because those little brush fires connect. And sooner or later, a little bit of too much benign neglect is the straw that breaks the camel's and the marriage's back. So we love our wives as Christ loved the church. We love our wives as we would our own bodies. We're talking about an intelligent attention to detail. If you look in your Bibles at 1 Peter three 7, 1 Peter 3, seven, and we're going to unpack more of 1 Peter three seven later. What does it say? Husbands, likewise. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. And in, the, in an understanding way there... Uh, there are a couple of Greek words that could have been used. What it says there is according to knowledge. There is a theoretical knowledge in the Greek, and there is a practical acquired knowledge. There's textbook knowledge, and there's blocking and tackling nuts and bolts knowledge. And what it says here is love your wives according to a carefully acquired, studied knowledge. That's what it means to be a learner. That's what it means to be a learner. In the same way, husbands, men like you and me, have to understand our wives – Their real needs, not their felt needs. Their real needs, not sometimes just their stated needs. It's it's understanding their hopes and dreams and fears, what fulfills them, what doesn't, what encourages her, what doesn't. When is she trying to do too much? When do I need to step in? When do I really need to dig deep? When do I really need to stand back? How can I help her maximally? What does she need, really need to hear from me? And when does she need, need to hear no as well as yes? What does she really need from me and what does she think she needs from me? How can I benefit her through righteous words, actions, and deeds in a way that will be me- uh, uh, meaningful, lasting, trust-building, confidence-building? We need to study our wives, men. We need to be learners. We need to learn our wives. We need to understand our wives, their needs, their strengths, their weaknesses. You know, it's, it's interesting because in the text, it talks about nourishing and cherishing. And those two words that are there and that and the original language, are only found one other place in the Bible, in, the, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, when he describes his care for the Thessalonian church as the care and detail and attention of a nursing and loving mother. You think, that's kind of wild, you know? There's only another place. But think of how a mother looks at her babe and learns the babe's coos and cries. And I'm not comparing your wife to a baby, man. But what I'm saying is there's a level of love and care that we have to bring to the table that doesn't come naturally to us in a fallen world. Human beings are naturally entitled, self-focused, easily distracted, and we need to laser in it and say, what makes her tick? How can I help her? How can I love her intelligently? What does she really need from me, and what does she think she needs from me? How can I benefit her through righteous words, actions, and deeds in a way that will be uh, uh, meaningful, lasting, trust-building, confidence-building? You know, A lot of times, and this is a terrible analogy, but you guys like to tinker with cars, a lot of you. I know that an army of you do. Some of you like to tinker with computers. Some of you like to tinker with all kinds of things. I used to work on boats, and a good skipper knows the sound of of his vessel. That's what we're talking about here. You learn your wife. You learn her needs. And let me just tell you, and I can only speak from experience, those needs change over time. They really do. You think, you know, it's the old thing, you know, women, who can understand them? Well, God calls you to understand them. And yeah, they do change, just like you change. And you have to be constantly learning. You have to be constantly loving, and you have to be constantly learning. You have to love them intelligently. You have to love them thoroughly, just in the same way that Christ loved the church. And you're saying, what do we do then? How do we do this? Uh, you know, I mean... Where do I start? You know, I've already blown it. We've been married for 40 years and she hates me. You know what? Start over today, you know. Anybody ever see the movie Fireproof when it came out, you know? Yeah, that movie, you know, it was okay. It was good. It was, had a great message. I know that many Christian movies are kind of, you know, not particularly well written or well acted and things like that. But this guy, you saw him, right? I mean, he'd blown it and he, he poured it on. God used that transforming, renewing love you know what? Where there's God, there's always hope, guys. And ladies, same to you. You may be married to a guy who's listening to this, and maybe this is going to bounce off him or go like water over the duck's back. Maybe not. Maybe not. So how can you be or become a better lover and a better learner? Well, you can be involved with your wife spiritually in a growth group or an ABF. There are going to be ABF signups for next year, growth group signups for next year. You can read books about marriage. You can find an older mentor who's made all the mistakes that you've made and maybe survived and come back. Oh, you can read your Bible. That's for sure.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, It is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening.